0: As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, please, uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, it's amazing that we have your word written. And so we pray that we would receive it, this word. Not as the word of men, but the word of God. That we would listen to it as such, and we pray that it would come to us in power, in the Holy Spirit, and to have its full effect in us. This, I pray, in Jesus name. Amen. Turn please to first Thessalonians, one Thessalonians um, I want to read chapter 1, please. 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 1. Hear the word of God. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you in peace. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, what we we'll want to do in the next number of weeks, probably months, is to listen to God in the midst of these letters from them, all right? I just want to listen to what God has to say to us. This letter, First Thessalonians, at least, was one of the first writings, really, of the New Testament. And so it's helpful for us. This church in Thessalonica had only been formed probably some months prior, and so now Paul writing back to them. It, it's interesting, helpful for us to see this. Now, the reason that I'm taking up First Thessalonians... Because it's in the Bible. All right? You with me? Now, uh, there's lots of things in the Bible, obviously. So why why, why this? Well, it comes really from a, a statement, made a summary statement of the work in First Thessalonians by um, an Anglican pastor, John Stott, uh, now deceased a couple of years, which is sad to me because I'll miss his writings, but now he's way more quotable. Uh... But, uh, but Stott said of 1 Thessalonians this. He says, what we have here is an interaction between the gospel and the church. An interaction between the gospel and the church that goes like this. That the gospel creates and shapes the church. And the church spreads the gospel. It doesn't sound that profound, doesn't it? But, but it's really true, doesn't it? And we'll find this here, and it's helpful for us to, to think that through, that it's the gospel, really, that creates and shapes. And there's no church, no Christian church, without the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There isn't a church until the gospel comes. When the gospel comes, and people believe and receive, then we have believers, thus a church, if you will, that's in God, that, that belongs to Him, that gets its life from Him. And and so so that's it. So so the, the gospel creates shapes the life of the church and then the Church spreads this this gospel. And and we're a church. <laughs> so as we think about that, we realised that it's the gospel that has made us what we are that is the church of jesus that's the gospel has come to us we've received and believe so, so 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 this gospel has has made us and this gospel shapes us and we're to spread this Gospel. So, so now as we come to this, I want us to think, obviously, what's happening in Thessalonica, but beyond that to us even, and, and not only how did the Gospel sh- create and shape this church, how did they spread it, but, but seeing them then as a model for us, this paradigm, this word of God to us about what the church really is, then, then, and then let us think back through how it is that the Gospel has made us, has established us, has created us, how it is that the Gospel shapes us, this church and how it is then that we spread this gospel so that's what i want to, to think about in the in the, the months uh, really probably to come and we'll take up i suspect the second letter as well because it belongs very much to this people and very much uh, to the first uh, then as well we, we can see this this paradigm if you will or How it were summary as Stott lays it out in in verse 5. Paul writes to them, he says, Because our gospel came to you. And then we see in verse 6, you received the word. And then in verse 8, for not only is the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, and so we have this. The word comes to them, the gospel comes to them, establishes them, creates them as well. Uh, they received it, and in receiving it, they become the church and are shaped by it. And then we see it, it, it sounds forth from them. The word there really is echoed, and it isn't just a, just a dim little echo of, but it's, 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 a, it's a roar. It's, it's very loud, this sense of sound that comes, that echoes from this. This church. So, so that's what we'll, we'll see. This gospel created the church there. The word came to them. And it, it certainly did. I trust that when you read through the letters of the New Testament. Written to particular churches. Groups of people. That, that you go back in the book of Acts. And you, 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 you see how that church was established. This church in Thessalonica was established. When Paul and Silas, Silvanus, Paul and Silas, really, and Timothy are, are, are there, you might remember that Paul went on various journeys, missionary journeys, we call him. He had a first missionary journey and it ended with this great meeting in Jerusalem. And then he decided that it would be good for him and for Silas. I'm sorry, good for Paul and for Barnabas to go back and to, to, to visit the churches they had established. A very pastoral kind of thing, wondering about them, saying, how, do we, uh, how, how are they getting along? And so he wanted to do that. But Barnabas wanted to take Mark and Paul didn't want to take Mark. So Barnabas took Mark and they went off and Paul took Silas and he, they went off. And in their going, they ran into Timothy, and he was a young believer. They took him along as well. And and, and as they were going to visit the churches they had established, the Holy Spirit had a different agenda for them. In fact, we read, as Luke puts it as he lays it out, that the Holy Spirit, and then he says the Spirit of Jesus, didn't allow them to gain entrance to this place or that place where they had wanted to go. But Paul received this vision. There was a man from Macedonia in this vision. He comes to Paul and he says, come this way, come to Macedonia. And so they did. When they did, they... They go into Philippi and they upset the economic situation there and they get into trouble and they end up getting arrested. And Paul and Silas end up going to prison and in the inner prison and they had been beaten and their feet are in stocks and their hands are in stocks and all of that. And they begin to sing and they begin to pray and an earthquake comes and they're they're let out, you might remember. And the jailer gets all upset because he thinks, oh no, all my prisoners have escaped. And Paul says, no, we didn't because we have something to tell you. And so they, they share this gospel with him. He could save his family. It's a great time. And they're finally ushered out of Philippi. They go here. Then they finally end up, you see, in Thessalonica. But you see, in that place, uh, Paul, before they got there, was, 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 had, had been beaten, had suffered as the others But he comes into Thessalonica and and there's a synagogue there. And so for three successive Sabbaths, he teaches them from the scripture and says, this is Jesus, this this Jesus has been been taught about through this altar. He's the one, he's the Christ. And the scripture says that some Jews believed, many God-fearing Gentiles, and not a few of the leading women of Thessalonica. Well, all was well until... Some Jews became jealous of Paul's success. And so they, they raised a rocket, formed a riot, had the person that Paul and the other guys had been staying with, Jason, arrested. And so finally he, was, he made bail. And after he made bail, then, then he said to these guys, you need to leave you know, because this is not a very good environment. It's a pretty hostile environment. So they, they leave. They, they go on to other, other places. But as they're traveling, Paul gets a little nervous, if you will, for the church in Thessalonica. So when he comes to Athens, he he says to to Timothy, go back there. I'll stay here by myself. You go back there. Silas can go back and go in other places. But I want you, Timothy, I want you to go back to Thessalonica and and to make sure everything's okay. We left them in in this, this time of suffering and they've heard of our suffering. I want to make sure that they're still Still believing, still walking with the Lord. I want them to get so discouraged that they'll turn their back on. So Timothy goes to back to Thessalonica. Paul stays in Athens, and after a while, then he, he travels along, and he gets to Corinth. When he gets to Corinth, Timothy returns, and Timothy returns with this report about this church that's still there, this church that's believing, this church that has hope, this church that's persevering, all of that. And Paul then writes them this letter and says, yes. There's some other things to say too, but yes. And he writes them, you see, because this word had really, really come to them. Verse 5. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but, but it did come in word. When he says it didn't come not only in word, it, he means it did. There was a word, there was a content to this gospel. In fact, if we go back to Acts 17, we can listen to to Paul's um, teaching of them, or at least a description of his teaching of them in Acts 17 verse 2. It says, And Paul went in, that is, to the synagogues, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, and so he, it came in word. He had this this content. The content of the gospel is Jesus, essentially. Gospel means good news. It's it, it's it's a it's a proclamation. The the word must come, you see. And, and as it, it comes, it's it's about Jesus. There's a great saying It's sort of come through the church. It says, Preach the gospel always. Sometimes use words. Now, I appreciate that line. It's a little misleading. I appreciate the line because it says, really, you know, uh, we should always be about the gospel. We should be living out its implications in front of people. But we can't forget that the gospel, first and foremost, is a proclamation. It's news. It's a proclamation. It's a declaration. It's news. It's something that's, that's announced. It's something that's proclaimed. So really, essentially, we're not quite preaching, sharing, laying out the gospel until we talk. Until we say it. Until we declare it. It's a proclamation. It's news that must be spoken. And this news has a, has a content. And that, that content is really a, about Jesus. We, we read this expression. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's that's the gospel. Uh, we read, for instance, in Romans and in chapter 10 as paul lays this out to the church in rome he says if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you'll be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved for the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame that's This gospel, the content is about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And it's a call to believe. It's a call to trust in him. Paul writes to the church in Corinth about this gospel. And he says this. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve and to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive and although some have fallen asleep then he appeared to James and to all apostles and last of all Paul says he appeared to me that's the gospel that's the word of it it has to come it has to be spoken. It has to be proclaimed. But there's something else here, Paul says. When the word came to you, it didn't come, this gospel, in word only. See, the word is necessary. But not sufficient. It says, this word came to you, this gospel came to you in word and power. <laughs> you see, the word must be accompanied with power in the Holy Spirit if it's going to have its full effect. And the reason this word must come with power, the power of the Holy Spirit in order to have full effect is because the gospel, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1, is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. There must be power. And the reason there must be Power is because we're dead because of our sin. Sin is such in us, causing us to rebel against God, that, that it kills us. We're dead to God spiritually. We won't respond. In fact, I think at least the best picture of our salvation in all of this scripture is Lazarus being raised from the dead. Upon the word of Jesus, is he? He's dead, and the only way he can come alive is if the word comes with power. If anybody else had said, "Lazarus, come forth," he would have stayed dead. But the word, "Lazarus, come forth," that had to be spoken and was. It was spoken by Jesus in power, and that power was sufficient, because he's the resurrection and the life, to give life. And so this word that came to them came in power. And so it gave them life. See, our sin is such that God would say of us in Genesis chapter 6, fairly quickly after he had created us, that the thoughts and inclinations of human beings... We're evil continuously. Jeremiah would say that our hearts are deceitful. Jesus would say that men love darkness rather than light. The apostle would write that no one seeks God. He would write that the mind of the natural, that is the person who hasn't been born again, the mind of the natural man is hostile towards God. Hostile towards God. He would write in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. He would write in Ephesians chapter 4 the apostle would that our minds are futile. That is we can't get it. We can't grab a hold enough to believe if you will that this is really true of us and true of Christ and to really trust him. And so this word must come with power. And Paul said of this church in Thessalonica, the word of God did come and it came in with power in the Holy Spirit. You see, the scripture refers to the word of God as the sword of the Spirit. So we can't separate the two. It's the sword of the Spirit, you see. Thus, we could put it like this. The spirit without the word is weaponless. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. If the spirit doesn't have the word, the spirit is weaponless. Because his weapon, his sword, is the word of God. But the word without the spirit is powerless. But the word with the spirit is the power of God unto salvation. And so what Paul writes to the church, and he writes to every church, the same thing really, that if you're a church, the gospel has come to you. And if the gospel has come to you, and you're a church, it means it's come to you in power, in the Holy Spirit, that brings, when he says full conviction, or full effect. That's the effect it must have in order for you to be a church, in order for you to really Believe it, it has to overcome and bring life. Do you realize that if you're a believer in Christ, that the Word of God has come to you not only in word but in power in the Holy Spirit and has produced this effect in you? When Paul writes of the the armor of God he says the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, and that we're always then to pray. You see, those go together, taking up the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit, we're also to pray. And what we're praying is that this Word is infused with power. We're praying is the Holy Spirit will attend this Word with power. And so, do you realize that, 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 that we're weak, really? Paul knew that of himself. He knew his own weakness. When he wrote to the church in Corinth, he, he laid it out like this. It's hard for us to, to think of Paul like this, but, 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 but this is how he describes himself. First Corinthians chapter 2. He says, When I came to you, brothers, did, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words or wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, listen, when I came to you, yes, I reasoned with you from the Scripture, uh, uh, these things of, of Christ. But, but, but anybody can say these words. But what enabled you to receive and believe them is because the Holy Spirit came in power. Changed you. Gave you life. Enabled you to believe. And so you don't look back and you say, Wow, well, Paul's great. You look back and say, wow, God is great. Look at what he's done. And you worship not Paul, but you worship. But you worship God. And so you see when we Share with our children this gospel. We are weak. So we must pray. That the Holy Spirit will attend. His word. To our children. With power. In the Holy Spirit. To bring this full. Effect. In their lives. Death. To life. That's what we must do. When we share our faith with anyone, that's what we must do. The gospel must come. But it must come in power, in the Holy Spirit, to bring about that effect, you see. Now, as a church, then, what we can conclude is, that's happened. If we're really a church, then what it means is that the gospel has come to us. And the gospel has come to us in such a way, in power. And it's come to us in this power in the Holy Spirit. And it's brought about the the effect, you see, of belief. Notice how it shapes this church in Corinth, this gospel that's come to you. It says, for you received the word, and it came in much affliction. And look what happened. In in verse 3, Paul says, remembering you before God and our Father, your work of faith... And labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when this gospel comes in power, the effect it has when received, it brings the receipt of it. And it brings faith. It brings love. It brings hope. You know, these people became, they were shaped by the gospel when they became believers, lovers, and hopers. And that's true when the gospel comes In power. Now, how did Paul know that they had believed? How did Paul know that they were lovers? How did Paul know that they had hope? He knew it because of what he saw. He saw their faith in work, he saw their love in their labor. He saw their hope in their perseverance. You see, real faith leads to real obedience. Now, we're not saved, of course, by or through our obedience of doing that which is right and good. We know that it's because we haven't that we need to be saved in the first place. And so, as we enter into this relationship with God, our first move is to say, I'm utterly wrong. I've been utterly wrong about life. I've been utterly wrong in my direction. And that wrongness is an offense, God, against you and your rightness. That's the first thing we admit. That's why we confess our sins together. I want to make sure we're all aware of that every Sunday. (laughs) <laughs> That's who we are, and that you know, that I know, that you know, that I know, and all that, right? This is this is what we what we admit as Christians that we're sinners in the sight of God without hope, except in His sovereign mercy. And once saved, we're never saved ever by our works, but we're saved in such a way that the Holy Spirit comes to us, and He says, "Now, now, I, I want you as a forgiven sinner." I want you not to live in such a way that's pleasing to the Lord. This won't earn you your salvation, but because you belong to him, this is your new identity. This is how you're now to live. See, the apostle would know of no Christian who didn't desire to do that which is right, that which is good. In fact, our desire now to do that is such that when we do sin, when we fail to do that, we confess because we're really sorry. Because we, we desired to do something else, but now we didn't. And so here we are, and so we make confession of our sin. And so we've been saved so that we can walk with him. When, when the apostle writes in Ephesians in chapter 2, this great passage about our uh, salvation through, by grace through faith, faith's last line is this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says, Now that you've been saved, come along now. Let's live in such a way that pleases Him. That's your to do. And then Paul says, I, I see that in you. When, when Paul writes to Titus, as Titus is pastoring a church in, in Crete, he, he writes them this He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. He says, listen, this is what the grace of God, this is the reason the grace of God has come to you. Yes, to save you, to reconcile you to God, but now so that you can have the power to say no to ungodliness. And what Paul sees in the church in Thessalonica is that they're doing that. And then again, in chapter uh, 3, he writes this, He says, we were sinners, we were uh, disobeying God, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Paul's saying, I saw that among you. So I know this word came to you, not only in word, but in power, in the Holy Spirit. It brought this effect. You believe, and I know you believe because I see it. Not only that, I see it in your love Because you see, Jesus said, this is what will mark you. This is how people know that you're my disciples, that you love each other. And Paul says, I see it. I see your labor of love. This love has caused you to live in such a way towards one another that you're willing to sacrifice. We saw that at the offering time. When I read about the church in Macedonia. This is a church in Macedonia. And it's a church that was impoverished. It's a church... That was in severe affliction, but it's a church that had great joy. And their joy was such that they were willing to give to help others. And Paul says, Wow. He says, You even begged us to take your money. That's amazing. In the midst of your situation, I see it. And you have hope. I, he says, I sent Timothy back to you because I was afraid that because of the suffering that you'd experienced against new believers that it might do you in, that you might buckle under that. And you see us suffering, you, you might think, well, maybe we've, we've done all of this and it's been wrong. And he says, But Timothy came back and said, no, 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 you're continuing on. He says, I see it. I know, therefore, the word of God has come to you in power in the holy spirit brought this great effect you believe you love you hope you're christians and you have joy this is the midst of this tribulation you're you're just like you're just like jesus you're just like we have been you, you resemble believers throughout all the world because you in the midst of suffering still have joy because that fuels you even in the midst of everything else and he says I've seen that you've turned to God from idols and now you're serving him I know it's come to you in power do you know that's happened to us as believers it's because the word has come to us in power And now you see what we must have, this consciousness. Oh, yes, the word has come to me in power. I believe, therefore, I need to live. Therefore, I need to obey. Yes, of course we do. It's a check, isn't it, on us? Wow. Is that what it means to be a Christian, to believe, to obey? Yes. All right. And to love. And that love necessitates labor. Love Isn't easy. It isn't sentimental. It isn't romantic. Keep trying to convince Karen of that. It's, It's. It's real you see. It's willing. To give in the midst of difficulty. Out of difficulty. That's what it means you see. That's who we're made to be by this word that came in power by the Holy Spirit. That's the effect it's to have. We're to have hope, you see. Read the paper. You'll be hopeless. Our only hope is that Christ is that enables us, you see, to persevere. And then out of this church, he said, it sounded forth from you. You see, that's the thing. It's, it's the sound forth. It's the echo out of us. He said, he said, I don't even need to talk to people very much because everywhere I go, they've heard about you. And see, that's the word to us. 25 years we've been a church. Has anybody heard of Christ from us? That's the question. Has it sounded forth from us? Echoing out of this place. Echoing out of our lives. Echoing out of this community. Do people hear about Jesus? That's the real question for us, you see. So that's what a real church is. It's is interaction between the gospel and the church. Where the gospel creates the church. Where the gospel shapes the church. Where the church Spreads the gospel. Notice then what Paul says about them. Verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for you constantly remembering you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness, of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he's chosen you. I always like to bring up The doctrine of election with four minutes to go but it's quite simple really often we ask the question how do we know if we are the elect how do i know that i'm one of the elect well on the one hand the elect is known to god he he knows his own But Paul says, I know that you are. I know that you're elect. And so how did Paul know that they're elect? Well, he knew that they were elect because he saw it. Because he knew that the word of God had come to them. If you're elect, the word of God will come to you. If you're chosen of God, the word of God will come to you. And he knew that they were elect of God because they had received it. And in receiving it, they believed it. And in believing it, they labored in love. And good works and obedience. And, and, and also that they were persevering. And they were spreading it. He said all of that was well, sure. I know it now. When he entered into Thessalonica. To begin this message. He wouldn't have known who the elect of God in Thessalonica were. How did he know it? He told them about Jesus. And the ones that received it were. How do you know that you are? Has the word of God, by way of the gospel, come to you? Have you believed it? Is it your hope? Has it transformed you? Do you desire to obey? To follow after him? Are you sad when you're not and confess? Do you take up these commandments of God with joy to obey, to follow Him? Do you sacrifice in love for other believers and even those outside the faith? Do you persevere in the midst of difficulty? Do you still find yourself believing after all these years and after all this stuff? And after all the news that comes and the history that we've lived, you still believe, you see. Uh, That's how you know. And then he says, because you're elect, then you can also know this, that you're loved by God. How did he know that they're loved by God? Well, he knew they were loved by God because they were elect. How did he know they were elect? I think I've told you that. And they could live loved by God. And so he starts out this whole letter with this expression. And the expression is that you're the church of Thessalonians. Church, Old Testament meant the gathering of the people of God, the assembly of the people of God. These are the real people of God. He says, you're the people of God in Thessalonica. It's a church made up of Thessalonians. That's who, who you are. But, but here's where, who you really are. You're in God the Father And the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in him. And you say, no, I'm in Thessalonica. Yeah, yeah. But you're in God. You're the assembly in God. You're the group of people in God. That's where you really live. I I know you're being persecuted. I know you're suffering. I know there's disappointment. I know all of that. But don't really worry. You're in. We so could say to them as he opens the letter, Grace and peace. Hmm. Uh, for many in the culture of the day, that was like saying, Hello. But knowing all of this, it isn't hello, it's I'm a recipient of grace. I'm loved by God, chosen by Him. His gospel has come to me. I have believed. I have peace. Hmm. Peace with God because you see, I'm in Him. That is stunning. Let's pray, Father. I pray for me and for us that we would be stunned by the grace of God that brings peace to us. Forgive us, me, when we're ho-hum, when it's just another day. May we be stunned by the fact that we're in God the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. They pray for me, for us, that we would be a church that has been made by, created by, established by the gospel and nothing else, that that's the truth upon which we're founded, which we're grounded, which, into which we're rooted, which brings life to us. That truth, because it's come with power, and the Holy Spirit and the effect that it's made on us that we would be people who believe and that belief is shown in our obedience that we'd be people who love and that, that love would be shown in, in, in our self-sacrifice, our labor that, that we would be people who hope in the midst of all kinds of difficulties God, that we would still persevere in the faith and be, be steadfast that, 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 that we would be people of joy that we would be people who have left all that which is sinful and we would have Come to follow and to serve the true and living God. And Father, we'd be people from whom this gospel echoes, resounds, roars. Thank you, God, for blessing us with this great salvation. We thank you, God, for blessing us with babies. We thank you for little Jacob Henry Lazell born to Lindsay and Tony, and we're grateful for his life. We pray uh, that he would be with them, strengthen this little one. I pray for those today who graduated KU. Many we know very well, and we pray. (laughs) I pray that um, he would move KU's graduation off of Sunday mornings but I pray for those whom we love who are graduating that you would be with them that they would be blessed on this day and you would strengthen them and help them for our high school graduates we pray for them as well that you would bless them strengthen them and for this celebration that we have coming God I pray that you would cause us to be for the next number of years a church of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ we thank you Father for the spread of the gospel from our church we thank you for young life for Rick Mumford and his team and we pray that you would bless them and all of their work and this we pray in Jesus name Amen